Hi and welcome to Build 'em Up, where we hear from great people building the health and well-being of rural communities right around Australia. This Build 'em Up podcast is proudly supported by NBN. Hello, I'm Susie Tegan, the CEO of the National Rural Health Alliance, and I will be your host today as we chat with Dr. Jenny May, Director of the University of Newcastle, Department of Rural Health. Hello, Jenny. Welcome to Build 'em Up. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for joining us, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you and sharing the work you're doing. Can I ask you to begin with by introducing yourself and telling us where you live and what it is that you do for work? So, Susie, I've been in Tamworth, northern New South Wales, um, since I guess about 1989. That's when we first came to town with my husband and. Um, we've worked mainly in northwest New South Wales, but we have had some little sabbaticals. Um, five years in remote WA, two stints in Canada, working in um, um, First Nations communities um, primarily, and lots of other little sojourns. Um, a year in Alice Springs in 2010. So we've been very fortunate with our medical careers to see quite a bit of Australia, but. Mainly, um, and the, certainly for the last uh, ten or so years, mainly focused here in northwestern New South Wales. So, Jenny, where did you grow up? So, I grew up in Sydney, and um, I knew from the age of eight that I always wanted to do medicine, and I was fairly dogged in my pursuit um, of that outcome. Um, and I had had very little exposure to rural communities as growing up, so. My reason for ending up in a rural community, I think, could be called rural spousal origin, um, because I met um, my lifelong partner who come from Armidale, northern New South Wales, and um, he was always very keen. He always thought that people had to do their turns working in metropolitan areas, and that's how it worked. And then he could get back to the real country, and so it was that as soon as we could, once we'd finished um, medical school and our, um, you know, obligatory. Um, urban requirements that we headed rural as soon as we could. Mm. And how long did it take you to become part of that community when you first moved there? So Tamworth at that time in the 1980s um, was somewhat smaller than it is now, but um, that solid sense of rural community is something that I absolutely value and treasure. And it was not long before we were part of um the work community in the in what was there in a small base hospital, um, but also very much part of a community in terms of of the area we lived and certainly um, the activities that went on. And I think the strength of rural communities that we've had the honour of living in um, have really come to their fore with things like the the obligatory. Um, challenges we've had, say, from weather, where we've had, you know, when we were living in Exmouth in in northwestern Australia, we went through Cyclone Vance. Um, when we were in Tom Price, we went through um, Cyclone John. And um, obviously in Tamworth, we've had the experience of floods and fires. So, um, and it's those times when you just so value that um, sense of community and that social capital that we get from living in 
in those smaller communities. Mm. And you raise a really important issue about the weather and how it impacts those communities. What sort of changes have you seen in terms of the weather since you, I mean, you've obviously experienced many of those, um, you know, environmental changes over the years. How has that manifested? So climate change for me is very real. Um, it is um, what I see in changing patterns of farming and and um, productivity. And it's very clear, having lived in Tamworth over those times, to watch how much drier it's become and how that's actually changing the sort of agriculture and the sort of work that people can do. And, uh, you know, um, we live in a location where we have to harvest water off our roof. Um, and so so the actual realities of the drying that we've seen um, in the continent over the last um, 20 years has been very stark. But I think it is these episodic extreme weather events that is the other big challenge that we've seen. Um, and those challenges are particularly to rural communities because the recovery, as we're seeing in some of our Western New South Wales towns right at this time, is so problematic when you have, you know, a small critical mass and learn a lot of social capital to work with. Yes, which brings me to the importance of the work that you do in rural and remote communities. Could you just give an outline of what you've achieved over the years and in context of your passion? Because I think, I mean, I think I met you many, many years ago originally and you were just as passionate then as you are now and you need that passion to drive you through the times that, you know, you're thinking, oh, do we have to do this again? You know, do we have to do we have to fight for this? I think that's um, so, Susie. I'm very fortunate because I'm I've actually had a career in a rural community um, over years, and I've had that in terms of um, being able to do clinical work. And obviously, I love my clinical work, and I still um, am involved in clinical patient care to this day. But I've also had the opportunity. Um, to be involved in teaching and research as a virtue of the RHMT program, the Rural Clinical School program, which started in the late 90s. And I was supported to work here in Tamworth and to attain a research qualification, a PhD in medical workforce, which is my passion, and given me an opportunity um, to not have to move in order to get these wonderful opportunities. So for me, rural has actually meant opportunity which is different from the rhetoric we hear all the time, the rural deficit theory that you can't do anything, you must move metro in order to, to have a fulfilling career path. So I'm very, very grateful for that. My job involves really um, supporting the next generation and I call it gain, train, retain. That's my way of thinking and I'm involved um, in building aspiration in um, students, rural students all over uh, northwestern New South Wales and, and allowing them hopefully to be, um, uh, to see what they could be um, because often in, in our rural communities we don't get exposure to health professionals on the ground so we don't even know what careers that we could possibly aspire to. So that's the gain bit. The training is that we endeavour 
across, um, again, northwestern New South Wales and through this program nationally to provide positive student experience and in that way attract people back. And I guess the big part of the work is creating these career paths and creating opportunities for rural clinicians to be involved in teaching and research and to have a good critical mass of those professionals going forward because that's what we lack at the moment. Mm. And you've worked with Aboriginal communities and Aboriginal students and, you know, I've found over the years that you can't be what you can't see occurs in particular for those um, rural and remote students and those Aboriginal students in the regions. What have you done and, and what can be done um, further to develop that opportunity and to support that opportunity for the Aboriginal and rural and remote community? Um, if I can put it in the negative, um, rural disadvantage comes in a number of different ways. And I think the job is to look at that rural disadvantages and break down the barriers to that disadvantage and level the playing field. So I, I'm lucky um, and, and, I, and I'm really grateful. University of Newcastle has a really proud tradition of working with Aboriginal communities and developing Aboriginal health professionals. So there's a large number of doctors who have graduated through the joint medical program and what was the University of Newcastle medical program. I think we trained 25 to 50% of Indigenous doctors. And so, you know, there's a, there's a good foundation there of um, absolute support um, and, again, Critical mass is part of it. Um, if if it is unrealistic to expect people to come from small communities to be dropped in a metropolitan training program without any support and and come out the end of that in 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 a, a mindset that they can um, go back to the Aboriginal community and that's not what I expect. What I want to see is that our medical students represent the diversity of the population base. Um, that we have in Australia, and I want to affirmatively action and support Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students to reach their potential, and if that works for them, to then come back to rural communities if that's their their choice. And I think we've got to be really careful that we're not putting a big load on our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, that they're responsible in some way for managing the health of um, the first Australians because that is a corporate responsibility. Yes, because we don't also have that same expectation of mainstream students. That's right. So um, it's so we've got to be careful that we um, that the support we provide is affirmative and um, does not involve obligation. Would be my yes. comment. Yes. Tell us about your career achievements. I mean, I could list them. Um, one of them is the Australia Medal. What do the awards you have been given for your wonderful effort over the years, what do they mean to you and your work? To be honest, um, there's some discomfort in being awarded something that is very much a team approach and um, the work that I've done has always been um, on and behalf of others and um, could not have been achieved, um, you know, sailing my own boat. So, so there is a little discomfort that, that there is um, with that awarding. But if it advances the cause, I'm all for it. 
and it is very clear that we have increased the profile of some of the positive aspects of rural medicine, and that's what I want to do. And when I say medicine, I don't mean medical practitioners. I mean medicine and health. And um, one of the achievements that I'm really proud of is that we run a truly integrated program with medical, allied health and nursing students, um, and it is truly integrated because um, in the communities that I've worked in and in the, the spaces that I work, that interprofessional communication and teamwork is really important. So I think we've done gone some way to modelling the behaviour that and modelling the models of care that we think are the ways to the future. Mm. And and it's very much place based as well. I mean, your your definition of uh, medical care is really about the community. What do they need? And then you build the workforce around that, rather than the other way around. Um, and, and I think I think there are a number of themes about that that we need to be we need to push to the fore, um, and that is that integrated care is really important. And when I say integrated care, I don't mean integrated from the provider end. I mean integrated from the patient end, so that the patient should feel confident that they're in a system that can support them. It's really important that care, particularly for rural communities is integrated. And and I think there are some challenges with well-meaning policies that may not, that could inadvertently fragment care where we actually need it to be integrated. And, you know, digitisation and interoperable software and things may go some way to helping us here. So there are some solutions, but I think we need to be really clear that integration has to be part of the story. I think we also need a better focus on prevention, and I don't think that will be any surprise to anybody. Um, primary care is the cornerstone, I believe, of local care, and we need to work on increasing the, and keeping the scope of that so that most things can be managed locally to home. We need skills escalators for workforce so that people can train in place because going away doesn't suit everybody. It suits some people, but it doesn't suit everybody. And there are some life stages where, for instance, I couldn't go away. Thankfully, I was able to do my PhD remote from my supervisors, remote um, from the university, but I was able to do it. And that allowed me to have that career progression by and that skills escalator by training in place. I think the other thing is that we need critical mass and the concern about the future and the loss of generalism, and that, again, I'm not talking about medicine, I'm talking about across the way, but also um, the challenge of integrating virtual care into the models of care we need is that we must retain a critical mass of health professionals in rural areas because the laying on of hands is a really necessary and helpful skill, and to do that we need qualified um, and happy health professionals to be working in our rural areas. So I think there's some real challenges ahead, but there's some themes or elements that we need to keep to the forefront. And if we do, we will certainly um, support our communities to get decent care. Jenny, uh, you, you raise another important, well, actually you raise two important issues. One is about the patient doesn't really care who's paying for what. You know, there's this fight, continuous fight between state, federal, local, and patients 
don't care who provides it. They're thinking we're 30% of the population, we've paid our taxes, we would just like a seamless service. And, you know, often we have some very capable individuals that can tell you exactly what they need. Do you think communities are being listened to and are included in the development of that service in their community? And part of it you mentioned before, which was the preventative aspect of of healthcare and you know service provision. I'm I'm you know I work in a in a health system. I understand the difficulties of um, integrating that from the patient end. I think that that must be our goal. And I, but I, and and I struggle with um, the programmatic approach that we often see, uh, and it's a problem because patients don't come with an alcohol and drug issue, or a mental health issue, or a cut leg. They come with all of them, and um, the the concept of funding in streams as opposed to funding patients and their complexity. I struggle with. Now, um, that's not to say that many of the policies are not well-intentioned and it's not to say that um, we need a completely different model of care because what we need to appreciate is that patients move and health professionals move. So we have to have a system that those health professionals can move between contexts and we have to have a system that allows patients to access care in Broken Hill um, and in Noosa, and it has to have the elements of similarity in order to work in both those locations. So I appreciate the problem, um, but what I see is a real challenge, as you mentioned, with programmatic solutions or disease-focused solutions um, with the very best of intention but not actually focusing on the patient in front of you. Mm. And... You've obviously had some challenges uh, that you've encountered over the years yourself in terms of work and, and, and policies because you are on quite a few different government and local and um, education committees and boards. What are some of those challenges and how have you overcome them? How have you supported yourself or, or have you received support to to be able to continue or to, to do it better next time? I, I think um, to, to be involved, you have to decide that you're going to give up um, your time. And if you want to um, be involved at a representational level, it does mean you're going to have to travel and you just have to accept that. So that does mean very early mornings and it does mean um, a lot of a juggle. Um, is it worth it? Absolutely. Is it important that those quieter voices are represented? You bet. So um, the payoff is in making a difference and feeling that you can make meaning. Um, the challenge is the juggle. Um, and for me, that's a juggle between clinical work, um, you know, being paid for a day job and a lot of these voluntary and other professional roles that one takes on. I have to say on behalf of many people in the rural workforce, we're exhausted. Um, so the self-care is probably not up, has not been up to scratch in the last two years because the challenges of closed borders and lack of access to 
to locum support and the sheer weight of of service need has been very significant. Um, how can we support our colleagues and um, the next generation of health professionals to represent? Um, I think um, online has certainly been a boon here because there is now often um, the capacity to be represented in a hybrid way. So you can get on and Zoom meetings after hours rather than having to attend. But there is probably no no better way of making a difference and influencing than, than face-to-face, I have to say. So I, I'm not going to suggest that I've got that one right. Um, I think it is a challenge to maintain that balance. And, and I do think that um, funding or other support to um, leaders um, and growing our rural community leadership is really important. Mm. And you were speaking about growing community leadership, uh, considering that 30% of the population lives in rural and remote and they have significantly added value to the economy over many years, which I think is often forgotten. Um, You know, there is a remit to add value to that community and to, to invest in that social capital. So what would you tell people that would like to follow a path to serving their rural communities? Um, The first thing I'd say is that I don't see rural as deficit. Uh, We love the rural lifestyle. I've got chooks. I've got a vegetable garden. We're almost off grid and I absolutely love um, the, you know, the um, sunsets that I come home to. So I I think part of it is actually um, sharing with people the great positives about living in a rural community. And we've talked about the social capital, but there's also the environmental amenity, the cleanness of the air. Um, You know, there are lots of really special things uh, about why we live where we live. I think um, so so there's, there's changing the discourse and, and valuing rural for what it is. Um, I think the other thing is thinking and governments and, and funders thinking about rural as an investment, not a cost. So investing, for instance, in the medical infrastructure that they've done in Tamworth here with a big education centre, lots of accommodation, that's actually allowing us to make career paths available for clinicians who want to stay here and be involved in teaching and research as well as clinical service. That's an opportunity that 25 years ago wasn't here. So so building and thinking about rural communities um, and investing in the people in rural communities as an investment rather than a cost, I think changes the game. Now, by having a professional community in a, in a place like Tamworth or, you know, in Port Hedland or in mm. um, Mackay or in, you know, Longreach, um, has inestimable benefits um, in terms of, of that, um, I'm going to call it vertical integration, but the way you participate in a community. So sporting clubs, um you know, community endeavours, all those things. If you've got a critical mass of people with skills, then they can get on and do things. 
you know, developing walking tracks or doing this or doing that, doing the things that that light their their um, bucket. You know, we've had um, one of our health professionals here who's absolutely sold on mountain biking and has worked with the council, got grants, and we have the best mountain biking track um, for, you know, miles and miles around. Now, what a great contribution to this community that there is now this wonderful place where the kids in town can throw their mountain bikes off various jumps and make work for the orthopaedic surgeons, et cetera, but, you know, in a really positive way. So I think um, that building, that seeing health professionals as as builders of social capital um, as well as influencers in their day jobs is really, really important. And I think we haven't quantified that in a financial way to realise just how good it is. Mm. And the impact it is having and the legacy it is leaving for others to to do something similar. Jenny, uh, I hope that you see your three children and your grandchild over Christmas. They're spread around Australia um, and I really um, appreciate uh, chatting with you. It's been really valuable and I'm sure people will find it um, very interesting and um, your cup of plenty um, will continue to give, I'm sure, for many years. Thank you very much. Thank you, Susie. Think it's time to come together and be the spark. Let's be the spark and build them up from the ground up. Don't lose heart and don't lose touch. Build them up to stay in the fight. Gotta keep the hope in the country alive. And thanks for your support in talking up rural health across Australia. And all thanks to NBN who are lifting digital connectivity and capability across rural, regional and remote communities. If you like hearing upbeat, community-driven health stories, get your monthly build em up podcast by heading to ruralhealth.org.au slash buildemup. Along the lines of the cracks on a face Still the magpies sing